Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read from verse 7 down through verse 12. And we will read these verses as we do each week responsively. And so we'll begin reading together in verse 8. Uh, I'll begin in verse 7. The Bible says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Together, verse 12, therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This morning I'd like to preach a sermon entitled this, Getting Good Things from God. Getting Good Things from God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that you'd help us as we open your word and we look at a passage that to many Christians is very familiar, Lord, and we look at some truths that we're maybe already familiar of. May uh, they ring true in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would not just hear uh, the Bible. May it not just come in one ear and go out the other, but Lord, may it ring down into our hearts and Lord, may it affect change. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be open and conscious to what you have for us directly. No doubt, Lord, sitting in our midst, there's someone who's carrying a private burden and a trial that they have not told anyone about. Lord, I pray that you'd comfort their heart through the preaching today of your word. Lord, if someone's wayward in their walk or Lord, just yet to find salvation, I pray that the sermon today would, uh, Lord, help that crowd as well. Give us a good time together around your word in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Remember back to your days as a child. For the children in here, you just think about right now, right? For some of you, that was a long, long, long time ago, wasn't it? I hope your memories of childhood are pleasant. But even if um, you look back at your childhood with a frown, I hope there are some positive, happy things that uh, that uh, you remember. My... Uh, Some of my favorite memories growing up as a child revolve around Christmas Day and my birthday. Anybody guess why Christmas Day and my birthday would have been a big deal? Uh, Presents, presents. Now, I did not grow up in an affluent home that were uh, uh, filthy rich. I'm the oldest of seven children, and my father was a Christian school administrator making a uh, very meager income. In fact, one ministry we were in from the time I was three to the time I turned 13, we were at a church where my father's salary was $29,000 a year. You might think, oh, well, that's not too bad. But the problem with that was he had to pay full-blown tuition on uh, three of us who were at uh, school age. And so that brought the income down down to almost nothing. Uh, on top of that, a mortgage. On top of that, all the other bills involved. And so my parents didn't really have very much money. Um, most parents, when their children have holes in their socks, they go to the store and they buy their children's socks. Not my parents. There were holes in your socks and it was September. They would buy the socks, but then they would wrap them up and put them under the tree. If, um, if you, uh, your dress pants got, began to get a little short. Some of you here have little boys and you're trying to keep them in dress clothes and you turn around and it's like, what happened? I just bought those for you last week. Um, my nickname at church was Noah because every time I went to church, I had high water pants on, um, except for the, the week after Christmas, the week after Christmas, 
I had brand new dress clothes on. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, you know, um, I, we get the, pa- the presents faster and my parents did a good job of having a lot of presents under the tree. The issue with it was is that about 80% of them were things that most parents just give their children when they need them. Uh, but, uh, you know, you get handed all the, the presents and you learn what's what before you even open it. If the box squishes, it's close. It's close. How many have been there? You know what I'm talking about. And if you're like me, mom and dad would say, okay, you get to open one present before Christmas. You go around and you feel the packages so you know which one's closed and you know not to open that one. Um, maybe you get a uh, rectangular shaped Box and you think, oh boy, maybe this is Legos or maybe uh, maybe this is Transformers or whatever. And you open it up and it's a new lunchbox for school. And you look at it and go, oh, thank you, thank you. Um, these were good things. They were needed things. And when the Bible there in verse 11 tells us that God gives us good things, um, Sometimes those good things are just things that we need. They're just things that we need. My favorite Christmas had to have been when I was either seven or eight years old. Uh, we woke up mom and dad, you know, run in the room, jump up, on to- jump up and down on top of the bed, wake mom and dad up. And uh, all of us, uh, I think there were probably four or five of us at the time. We go running into the den area where the Christmas tree was and behind a piece of uh, a wrapping paper, we ran over there, and my brother and I, uh, who's 17 months younger than me, we pulled off the wrapping paper, and behind the wrapping paper, for me, there was a brand new, not a used, this is a big deal, because a lot of things in our house were hand-me-downs, a brand new red, white, and blue Huffy bicycle. Oh, boy. I can't tell you how happy I was. I hopped on that thing. It was, it was, it was southern Mississippi, but it was still cold that particular Christmas day. I remember, uh, hopping on that thing, going outside with it, and left the socks and the pants wrapped under the tree. Amen? Uh, I went, uh, outside and, and rode that thing all day. My fingers were, hands were red, and, and from the cold, it didn't matter. I lived on that bicycle for the next three or four years. Loved that present. And so, sometimes, uh, God gives us things in our life that are beyond needs. Sometimes God looks down on us and he gives us our wants. But beyond Christmas and birthdays, occasionally uh, where my parents could, they would still surprise us and do things for us. We were uh, obviously uh, we didn't eat out much. When you have seven children, um, eating out is a very, very expensive bill. When we did eat out, generally it was because restaurants had a kids eat free type thing, you know. And you go there and they see you walk in the door and the manager goes, oh, my goodness, we are losing money on this family. Uh, and my mom and dad would buy, buy their meal and all, all seven of us would eat for free. And then they got smart. I think my family might be the reason why. But now, you know, they say uh, that uh, you're a child if you're under the age of 10. And so if you're 11 years old, you know you're an adult now, right? According to the the, the, uh, the, the menus at these restaurants. So I think my, they, that got started because of my family taking advantage of all those. But, uh, you know, we didn't eat out much. Um, generally, it was because we were going on a trip. And then uh, we'd stop at McDonald's and we'd get a hamburger. We'd get two or three large fries to split between the nine of us. And we'd drink water. Amen? Not soda, water. And my dad obviously would get the large soda and he'd drink it right in front of us. How many think that's cruel? Nobody thinks that's cruel because you all do it to your kids too. Shame on you. Um, my dad um, 
took up a lawn mowing uh, business after school. Uh, he'd get to school, get us to school at 6, 6.30 in the morning, and we'd get home at 3 or 3.30, and then uh, Tim and I, my brother, we'd change into some work clothes, and we'd, we'd run out, and, and he would ride on the lawnmower, and we'd rake up the clippings of the leaves and bag them or take them to the edge of the property, throw them in the woods. And that was done three or four days a week so that we could pay the bills. Uh, I, and, and my brother and I, we'd climb in my dad's work van, and it was a broken down piece of junk. I think he paid $400 for it, and he had a ramp built. It was one of these uh, tight work trucks. I think, Ernie, it was like your truck that you had there that you work with. And he'd roll that lawnmower up in there, and, and then he got an old bus seat, and he bolted that thing down in the back. And that's where Tim and I rode. You say, was it safe? Absolutely not. Uh, but that's where that's where we rode, no seatbelt. And uh, we would hope that on the way home, he would pull into a gas station. Because if he pulled into a gas station, that meant that we were going to get maybe our own honey bun. Back then, honey buns were a quarter. And some of you remember when they were nickel, but we won't go there. Amen. Uh, we would hope that he'd get us a honey bun and then he'd get us a knee-high soda. Who here remembers knee-high sodas? Glory, hallelujah. Grape, strawberry, orange, pineapple, they were all great. I think now Fanta's something similar, but uh, bring, bringing back some nostalgia there. I still love knee-high soda and honey buns. I still love honey buns. And they don't love me back, but I love honey buns. Look at verse 11 with me in your Bibles there. It says there, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him, give, give good things to them that ask him. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4 says, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee, shall give thee the desires of thine heart. James chapter 1 and verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. God loves to give. Our God is a giving God. Amen? Our God is the giving God. The question today is, how do you and I get in on the giving? How do you get in on the giving? He wants to give. How do we receive? If God is handing out good things, uh, what are they and how do you and I qualify? Well, this morning, I want to take Matthew chapter 7 and a passage there that we're familiar with. And I want to talk about how we can get good things from God. Let's look at five thoughts this morning. Number one, notice Christ's conditions. Christ's conditions. Let me start out by saying this morning that many people are standing in the wrong line looking for something good. We're born in the wrong line. You're in Matthew chapter 7 there. Look down at verse 14. Verse 14 says this. It says, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. We live in a day and age, we live in a society uh, where uh, people are looking in the wrong places to get something uh, good from God. And the truth is that you're born as a child of the devil. You're born as a sinner in your heart. If anybody here doesn't believe that they're, we're naturally born sinners, then find a mom and dad with a small child and ask them if they taught that child how to lie or if that child was born already knowing how to lie. I can tell you by being a dad, my children learned how to lie from their mother. Amen? No, I'm teasing. My children, my children knew how to lie right out of the womb. And the reason is they got their DNA from me and their mother. And they were born natural sinners. 
we're born in the wrong line and we line up behind the, uh, Satan and his ideologies and his ideas and his philosophies on how to get good. And until we get saved, we cannot even begin to get in the right line. Let me say today that some of you here, you've, or many of you here, you've put your faith and trust in Christ. I hope that you all have. But there are many Christians who are still standing in the wrong line. They're lined up looking in all the wrong places to get something good from God. Look at verse 7 with me. We see Christ's conditions on getting good things from God. It says there, Ask, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Verse 8, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Here, verses 7 and 8 outline for us uh, three levels of getting good things from God. Level 1 or letter A is ask or petition. Ask or petition. Many people go through life trying to get find good all on their own and they're looking in the right places. Let me just establish uh, a premise this morning that needs to be established in the sermon and that would begin with these simple statements. And the first one is this, is that God is good. God is good. If something is good and it is rings true to the core that it's good, it came from God or it is of God. Another statement that needs to be made uh, to, to lay down the premise of the sermon this morning is that Satan is evil. Satan is evil. And so if something brings sorrow to your heart, and rings true at its core to be hollow and empty and sorrowful, then it came from Satan. If it rings true in the end, or it brings joy and peace and gladness and happiness, and it's, it's, it comes down to being truly and rightfully good, then it was authored by God. Let me say today also that God authors good, and Satan authors all things that are evil. Now, let me clarify uh, what, uh, the point I'm making here by making two more statements to you. And the first one would be this. All good things from God bring joy eventually. Eventually. You might say, Pastor, well, I'm going through a trial. And that trial is from God. And that trial is not good. And to that I would say, stay in there. Because what the trial will produce is good. Someone might take the statement about Satan being evil and authoring evil and say, But pastor, I love sin. It's fun. And Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. There absolutely is fun that accompanies sin. Here's how this works. Satan packages, notice the scare quotes here, good. He packages his good in that in the beginning it feels and tastes good. But after you've put it in your mouth and you have consumed it, what you find is that it brings about pain and hurt. Over here on this side, God has good packaged for you. But to get to the core of where that good is, you might have to go through a little bit of a hard time. But you stick to it and you, you look past the short-sided uh, end of it and when you get down to the end, you find that good. You find that good. You say, Pastor, how do I get that good? Well, you start by asking. 
start by asking. Sometimes Angela will send me to the grocery store and she'll say, I need you to pick up some items. Now, I know where the bread is and I know where the milk is and I know where the bacon is. Amen. Those are the essentials to, to, to life, especially that bacon part. But the other day she sent me to the store and she said, I need you to pick up dried ranch dressing. And I said, huh? I didn't even know that existed. What good is dried ranch dressing? You can't put that on your, on your salad. You can't put that on a baked potato. And so I walked in the door and I, first thing I did is I've gotten smart about this. I went to a person who worked at the store. I said, where is this item? You say, you didn't go look for it? No, I didn't go look for it. I had no idea where to find it. I had to walk to the, the, the dressing aisle and I would have found ranch dressing and I said, that's not dry, that's wet. That's wet. I started by asking. I asked someone who knew. The truth is, as we go through life, we're all looking for good things. I, and let me just pause and say, we apologize about the PA system the guys in the back are doing everything they can to get it work. I'll tell you guys, I think it might be these monitors up here. So if you can turn those off, that might fix the problem there. Um, but uh, we go through life and we're trying to find good things. We all want good things. But are you going about it trying to find them on your own or are you finding them through prayer? Let me tell you a mistake many Christians make. Many Christians make the mistake that they... Um, they think that if they work hard long enough, they earn enough money, they treat everyone the way they're supposed to, and they can just get their flesh to behave, that good will come to them. And my friends, there are many things that you can get in life through your own power, but there's a whole bunch of things that you can't get unless you're willing to pray. Unless you're willing to pray. And that starts by asking. I would ask you today this. When was the last time you got down on your knees and you asked God for the things that you need? So level one is ask or petition. Level two, taking it up a notch, would be to seek or pursue. Take your Bibles with me over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 in your Bibles. We're going to look at an example in the Word of God about seeking. The idea there of seeking is that you go a step beyond just asking. If I would have walked in the grocery store and I would have asked where that dried dressing was, the guy could have said, go to aisle 8, go halfway down and look on your right hand side. But if I would have not been willing to go down there, it would not have mattered. There have been times where I've asked a Walmart associate. In fact, most of the time when I ask a Walmart associate where something is, they look at you like, I don't know. They have those things on the back that says, how can I help you? And the truth is, they can't most of the time. Amen? Uh, so you ask them and they don't know. So what do you got to do? You got to take that large store and you got to go look for it yourself. You got to seek it out. There's some effort there. Look at Luke 15, verse number 1. The Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having an hundred sheep... If he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance." 
The Lord uses the illustration here to help us understand the idea of seeking is that you have a shepherd and he is in charge of a hundred sheep and 99 of them are there in the flock. One has wandered away and that sheep is lost out on its own. That shepherd takes the 99 and he puts them there in the barn and he leaves the 99 alone and he heads out across the plains and the fields and over the rocks and through the valley and on to grandma's house he goes. No, I'm kidding there, but he goes on and he's looking for that sheep, that lamb, and he finds it there, maybe down on the edge of a rock and in the rain and he's shivering and he's cold and he uses his staff and he draws that sheep up and he, that little lamb up and he carries it home and he comforts that sheep. He seeks it out, he finds it. Let me say today that if you're going to find the good things in your life, you have to start with asking. But sometimes, if you want things that are even better, you've got to go beyond the asking and you've got to work hard and you've got to seek for them in prayer. I'm talking about getting on your knees and spending more than just a couple of minutes or a couple of sentences in prayer, but rather laboring on your knees and begging the throne of God and asking Him to give you these things. Look down at verse 8 of Luke 15. Luke 15, verse 8, 9, and 10 we'll read. The Bible says, Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. The passage here that uh, the, the point Jesus is trying to make is that God seeks out diligently those that are lost. I would say to you this morning is that if you're going to get the good things that God has in store for you, it's going to go beyond just getting on your knees and asking Him. I'd say this morning that if you'll ask, there is a level of good that you'll get. But if you seek, my friends, it gets better and better and better. I think of John R. Rice. He wrote in his book on prayer. He said, I had a dream one night. And again, this, this dream meant nothing other than just making a point to him and kind of waking him up to the idea there. But he said, I had a dream one night that I was in heaven and the Lord was walking me around and we walked past warehouse after warehouse after warehouse. And I asked the Lord, I said, what are these warehouses for? And the Lord said, these warehouses are full of all the good things that I wanted to give my people But they never asked. They never asked. They sought out trying to get it on their own. And I would say there are some items in that warehouse that God will give you if you just simply bow your head and you ask Him. But some of those items in that warehouse, you're going to need to do a little more than that. You're going to have to get down on your knees and you're going to have to seek. You're going to have to beg. You're going to have to search hard for How about level three? Letter C, level C. We see here knock or persist. Persist. I believe wholeheartedly that prayer moves the heart of God. Prayer moves the heart of God. You get down on your knees and you pray and God's heart is moved to action. But can I share with you another truth here that isn't maybe quite as emphasized in churches? I believe that prayer not only moves the heart of God, but more importantly, prayer moves the heart of the Christian. Prayer moves the heart of the prayer. Prayer moves my heart to action. Prayer moves your heart to action. You know, if you never pray for souls to get saved, you're probably not going to have a burden to get out and go see souls saved. 
But if you're down on your knees and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying for souls to be saved or you're praying and you're praying and you're praying for wisdom or you're praying and you're praying and you're praying for the needs of others, God is going to move in your heart to fill that need in time and in a big way. As I get down on my knees and I ask God for something, it begins to change me. As I get on my face and I seek, as I beg God for something, that is a good that I change even more into the man that He wants me to be. Sometimes God wants us to go beyond asking. Sometimes He wants us to go beyond seeking. Sometimes God wants us to go as far as knocking. Persisting. This shows another level of dedication to our Lord. This says to God, I am willing to confront whatever in my life or whoever you lead me to in order to get the good things that you want from me. It is truly grabbing hold of an idea of prayer with God and saying, I will not let go of you, God, until you give me this that I'm asking for. As I prepared the sermon, I thought long and hard about how I could illustrate this point. Let me just say the best illustrations are not one that glorify the pastor or glorify a man. The best illustrations that are used are right out of the Word of God. I thought about Jacob. Jacob who is conniving. Jacob whose very name means trickster. Deceived his brother out of his birthright. Deceived his brother out of his blessing. And then fled to Laban's house, where he met his wife Rachel. He would, be, he would be deceived. The deceiver, Jacob, the conniver, would be deceived by maybe a better conniver than Laban. Laban, after seven years uh, of labor, uh, did not allow uh, uh, Jacob to marry Rachel, but rather he woke up the next morning and he pulled the veil off his wife and found that it was tender-eyed Leah he was married to. I can hear the blood-hurtling screams coming out of the tent now. What? I served seven years to marry Rachel and you married me to Leah? Oh, he was not happy. And so Laban let Jacob go ahead and marry Rachel as well. But in exchange, he had his labor another seven years. After 14 years of labor, he stayed on and worked an additional six years for Laban in order to leave with cattle and wealth. Twenty years he labored for Laban. Walked away with two wives. Walked away with some wealth to his name. And and the Lord led him to begin the journey back to his homeland. On his way home, a messenger came to Jacob and said, Your brother Esau is coming to see you. And Jacob, fear was struck in his heart. You see, the last time Jacob had seen Esau, Esau had vowed to kill him. He didn't know if Esau's heart had gotten more vile and more corrupt and more angry, or if Esau's heart had softened. The messenger forgot to relay that part of the message. So Jacob began to put that which he loved the least out furthest from him or closest to Esau, and then layered back that which was most nearest and dearest to him. And in the very back, Jacob sat by a campfire in his tent, and one night he began to pray, and an angel of the Lord came down, and Jacob began to wrestle with that angel that night, and all night long, Jacob must have been a fit man, all night long Jacob wrestled with that angel. As dawn began to break, that angel who I believe to be an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, as dawn began to break, Jesus 
said to Jacob, he said, let go of me. I don't know if he had him in a headlock. I don't know if he just was bear hugging him and not letting him go. But he said, let go of me. And Jacob said, no. I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. You know what Jacob was saying? I've asked you for good things. And I've gotten some good things, but I haven't got what I've wanted. I've sought hard for good things. And I've gotten more good things, but that's not all I want. I'm persisting in my prayer. I'm persisting in this time. I will not let go of you until you give me the good thing that I want. Bless me, Lord. Bless me. And the Lord reached down and He touched the hollow of His thigh. And He said, okay, you want something good? I'll give you something good. God said, you'll no longer be called Jacob. Instead, I'm going to change your name to Israel. Israel. Some of you may not know much about Isaac. Some of you may know very little about Isaac's great-grandfather or Abraham's father. But we all know about Isaac's son Jacob. We all know about Israel. The twelve sons that he had. How that they became the tribes. How that there will be twelve of the rulers in heaven that sit and help, and help uh, uh, rule heaven along with the twelve apostles. Jacob wrestled with the Lord. He persisted in prayer. My friend, today, if you want good things from God, I would ask you, how bad do you want them and how deeply do you want them? Most of the sermon today is spent on point one, but let's run through the other four points here. Number two, notice a parent's care. So we saw Christ's conditions. Number two, we see a parent's care. Look back with me at Matthew chapter 7, and let's look at verses 9 and 10. Matthew 7, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says there, Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Let me just say this morning that many people gather their opinion of their heavenly father based on their earthly father. As I have observed in my own Christian life, and as I have observed and counseled and talked with the Christ, uh, many other Christians what I have found is that we get our idea of who God is based on the idea we have of our earthly father. Let me illustrate. If a dad has a quick temper, quick to blow his stack, quick to blow up, maybe after a dad has punished that child, um, there is this weirdness in the air between father and punished child that lingers. Well, what I have found is that people will walk around thinking that God has a short temper and that God is quick to punish them. And that after they have confessed their sin, that God does not want to have a lot to do with them for a while. I've met people whose dad was just flat out a bully. And they have an opinion that God is a bully. But then there's the other end of the spectrum where I've met people where dad is everybody's friend. Right? Let's go play basketball. Let's go get ice cream. Life is cotton candy, right? Cotton candy and fun. And there's never any discipline. The child is just spoiled rotten. Those type of people generally grow up with an opinion of God that, hey, I can do whatever I want and God will be gracious and kind and merciful to me. And I would say this is that there is no perfect father. And so think through the faults of your father. And remind yourself that God does not have those faults. God is perfect as your Father. There are a lot of titles for, uh, in the Bible for God that I adore and I love. 
But maybe my favorite title for father is Abba. Abba means daddy. Daddy. He's personal. He cares. And here in these verses, uh, Jesus is trying to illustrate how much God cares for us. And He uses the care of a parent. He says there, if your child asks you for a piece of bread, you didn't give him a rock to chew on? You'd have to be a pretty bad parent to do that, wouldn't you? Your child comes to you and asks for a piece of meat or a piece of fish. You didn't give him a snake to play with? Here, go out and play in the backyard with this copperhead. Let me say here that God is infinitely more compassionate than you and I are as parents. There's a story told about a missionary who served in a mission field somewhere in the northern hemisphere of our globe. One brutal winter, a mother ran out of power in her house. This was a single mother with a newborn infant. The night was cold. She huddled up with that baby in her bed but could not keep her her and her baby warm enough. She knew at the missionary's house, if she could make it there, there would be a warm bed for her to sleep in. That mother stumbled out of her house in the cold and bundled herself and that baby up as best she could. She had several miles to walk and on the journey, a blizzard blew in. A white-out blizzard blew in. That mother became disoriented. The child grew colder and colder. She could not bundle that child up warm enough. Not really sure of where she was in regards to the missionary's house. She took off her clothes. She wrapped her baby in all the clothing she had. And then with her naked body, she laid down on top of that baby under a bridge. The next morning, the missionary came out, began to walk toward the little church building that he served in, found that mother under the bridge just a few hundred yards from his house. The mother was dead. As he rolled that dead, naked body over, he found a little infant that was crying and whimpering. The heat of that mother and the clothes of that mother had saved that child's life. Had saved that child's life. God points at the deep, deep, deep care of a parent toward a child and He says, I love you even more than you love your own children. The truth is, there have been times in my parenting life I've looked at my son or my daughter and I have seen them be sick. I've seen them be very, very sick. With all my heart, what I've wanted to do is reach down into their little bodies and take that sickness and put it in my own. All of you that are parents here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God today, or God in this passage says, if you know how to give good things to your children... Boy, I know how to do so much better than that. We see, number one, Christ's conditions. Number two, a parent's care. Number three, notice Christ's compassion. Christ's compassion. Look with me at verse number 11 of Matthew 7. It says there, it says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? The Bible uses the illustration of a parent's care and then turns around and calls that parent evil. Evil. You say, Pastor, is that mother who died naked on top of her child evil? 
And I would say, I would answer the question this way, good and evil are relative terms. They're relative terms. Compared to someone who murders their children, you and I are not evil people, we're good people. But as far of a difference, as far of a contrast as there is between you and a sick-minded parent that would do that, there is even a greater contrast between you and your Heavenly Father when it comes to good and evil. If you look at how good and perfect and holy God is as a parent to you and I, we in comparison are evil in our attempts to do so. Christ is so compassionate that He looks down on us and He says, I have good things for you. You say, Pastor, what good does God have for me? Well, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, my friend, the day I got that red, white, and blue huffy bicycle that I rode all over the place, for the next three or four years, I basically lived outside on that bicycle. But in order for me to get that bicycle, my parents had to go to the store. They had to scrounge together their pennies and their nickels and their dimes. And every last dollar they had, they had to scrounge that money together and go to Kmart or Walmart or Sears or wherever they bought that bicycle. And they had to give up that money in order to buy me that bicycle. If I would have gone to my bedroom that Christmas morning as a seven or eight year old boy and gotten my little piggy bank with my two or three dollars in it, and I would have walked up to my dad and said, let me help you with that bicycle. My dad would have said, no son, I bought you the bicycle. I paid for it. If you pay for it, it ceases to be a gift. I bought it. It's yours. Just go out and enjoy it. My friend, if you could earn your way to heaven by being a good person, what in the world does that cross up on that wall stand for anyway? The reason why Jesus Christ came down from heaven, left heaven and came down in the form of a man, and hung up on a cross, was so that He could pay for your sin. You see, a lot of things happened that day, 2,000 plus years ago, when He died on the cross, but maybe the greatest thing that happened that day was that He bought you a gift. He bought you a gift. That gift is called eternal life. And God says to you and I, He says, you can't earn your way to heaven. And I don't want your good works. I want your faith. You say, how is Christ compassionate? He killed His only begotten Son to buy you eternal life, to pardon you from hell and give you a home in heaven. I would say that is quite a bit of compassion. He says to you and I, He says, it's free. You just have to believe and receive. Christ's compassion. Number four, we see good clarified. Good clarified. Hold your place in Matthew chapter 7 and turn with me over to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We get a parallel uh, uh, passage in Luke. And so uh, there's one little difference between Luke's passage and Matthew's passage. It's almost the same thing, but there's one little change that is very important. And you'd say, well, who got it right? Did Matthew write down the right account of what Jesus said? Or did Luke write down the right account of what Jesus said? And I would say this, they both got it right. They both got it right. 
There have been times in my uh, preaching career where I have taken the same sermon and I have preached it in two different locations. And you know what? Sometimes I tweak things along the way. In fact, I preached this sermon at 8.30. And I'm preaching again at 10.45. I've had people sit through both services and say, Pastor, it was the same outline, but it was a totally different sermon. I believe that Jesus probably shared the truth here about asking, seeking, and knocking on more than one occasion. And God had Matthew write down one account of it, and He had Luke write down another account of it. In uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, it says uh, this at the universe. It says, How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things unto them that ask Him? Now contrast that with Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. It says there, If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, notice this, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? In Matthew 7.11, it's described as good things. In Luke chapter 11, it's described as the Holy Spirit. What is that good thing that God wants to give the Christian who asks, who seeks, who knocks? It is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God. Here's the truth this morning. The deeper and more intimate relationship uh, that you have uh, with this part of the Trinity that lives in you and indwells you, the more uh, good you'll have in your life. Here's how this works. When I was four years old, as a little boy, I sat down on the front row of this side of the church. I sat on a pew next to my father. He took the Bible. He showed me. I was about. It was about where right here would be on that pew. He showed me how I bowed my head as a little boy with tears in my eyes. I prayed and I asked Jesus Christ to come in my heart and to forgive my sins and to take me to heaven. That day, God did not just give me the gift of eternal life. He gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, that day, that part of the Trinity moved inside of my heart. He indwelled me. Salvation, indwelling. Notice this though. Surrender, controlling. Controlling. If you're here today and you're saved... The Holy Spirit indwells you, but He does not necessarily control you. You say, how do I get the Holy Spirit to control me? you got to surrender. you got to surrender. As you begin to turn over your heart to the Holy Spirit, good things begin to become manifested in your life. You say, Pastor, I am facing a difficult decision in my life. Do you know what part of the Trinity it is that gives you wisdom? As we read earlier or quoted earlier out of James 1.5, it is the Holy Spirit that gives you that wisdom. Some of you here today, you're facing a terrible life storm. Your heart hurts. Maybe a loved one has a sickness. Maybe there's uncertainty at work or your, your living situation. Maybe there's been a death in your family. You say, Pastor, I need God to comfort me. That's the good I need in my life right now. As you turn your heart over and you surrender control, the gift of the Holy Spirit of Him as a comforter begins to play in your life and heart. See, there are many Christians who have been saved from sin, but they're still standing in Satan's line looking for something good. That's where you want to stand. It might look good, but the end hurts. Today I'm telling you if you're saved, you need to switch lines and you need to go stand in God's light and say, God, I'm willing to take whatever trial you want to give me. I'm willing to labor in prayer and ask and seek 
and knock. I'm willing to turn my heart over to the Holy Spirit. I'm willing to let my prayers change me and allow You to control me so that I can have that good and the Holy Spirit can manifest those good things in my life and my heart. Good clarified. What is the clarification of good? Is that good comes when the Holy Spirit calls the shots. Today I'd ask you this. Who's calling the shots in your heart and your life? Remember how that it is our in our nature we are evil. You know what that means? That means in your natural state you have no idea of what good even is. You say, well, pastor, how do I learn what good is? You've got to turn your heart over to the Holy Spirit. You've got to let Him control you. Number five, and lastly, we see Christ's commandment. Go back over with me to verse 12 of Matthew chapter 7. And we find a verse that seems to be out of place, but it's not. In fact, we find a verse that I would say, if you're breathing air to the United States of America, you are familiar with this verse. Verse 12 says this, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know what we call this verse? We call it the golden rule. You find someone who has never been to church a day in their life. They're an atheist. They're an evolutionist. And the truth is, they probably know what the golden rule is. Whatsoever you would that men do to you, do ye even so to them. What's the, uh, what's the clever way that people go around saying it? If you don't want... Uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank on that right now. Someone want to help me out here? Some of you moms that quote it to your kids all the time. Doing to others as you'd have them doing to you, right? Uh, and so that's the idea there. You say, Pastor, this doesn't seem to fit the passage. Can I tell you why it does? Look back with me at the beginning of verse 12. Let's read that very first word out loud together. Ready? Therefore. Everybody together again. Ready? Therefore. What does that word therefore mean? It means look back at the passage or the verses before it and build on that thought. What's the thought? Ask, seek, and knock. Hey, parents, you know how to do good to your children. Your Heavenly Father knows how to do even better. What is that good? It's the indwelling and controlling of the Holy Spirit. Here's the, here's the point uh, I'm trying to make here today. As good begins to take over your heart and life, it will be your second nature to live by the golden rule. If I am being selfish, and I'm going through my life trying to find good for me, I cannot be truthfully good to others. But when I learn to do good God's way, and I get in His line, and I get it from Him, and I allow Him to not only indwell me, but to control me, it becomes very natural for me to hand out goodness and kindness and love to everyone around me. Are you contentious in your nature? Are you nasty in your spirit? You say, I don't think I am. Ask someone who knows you well. And if the answer is, well, maybe a little bit, then you are. You are. Learn to give good to others by allowing the Holy Spirit to give good to you. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning.